0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams.
0: Hello everyone and welcome again to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us, letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate it. Coming up today, we'll talk with the president of the National Corn Growers Association, John Linder. We'll find out how crops are looking uh, in his state of Ohio and also talk about some key ag issues concerning the RFS and taxes and climate We'll get his thoughts on a number of those issues. We'll talk markets today; they've been all over the place. We'll talk with Steve Nicholson with Rabo Agri Finance, and we'll talk about a couple of USDA grants for small meat packers. Uh, we're going to talk with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association about that. But we're going to start things off talking uh, some biofuels issues with Jarrett Renshaw. Jarrett is a political and biofuels uh, reporter for Reuters, and oftentimes politics and biofuels um, cross. And uh, we're we're seeing that in the news again right now. Jarrett, good to talk with you again. Thanks for being with us. Happy to be here, Mike. I know you're reporting that uh, there could be a lot of investments and tax credits to boost demand for U.S. biofuels as part of a couple bills that Democratic lawmakers plan to introduce in Congress, tell us about it.
2: Sure. Well, there's some context here that I think is important. I think there's um, there's a a understanding or at least a sensitivity to that that the Biden administration may do some things on the RFS that that Democratic senators from farm states like Iowa. Nebraska and all that uh, may not like, so I think they see an opportunity here to have some ask in this infrastructure bill that's winding its way through uh, Congress. So, what we are reporting is that the the Farm, day, farm Belt lawmakers will seek about two billion dollars in in money for uh, infrastructure improvements, more more pumps um, for higher blend biofuels, um, also a five cent tax credit for retailers uh, who offer E15 and then I think it's a $2 uh, tax credit for automakers who uh, make flex fuel vehicles. Um, so that, that's, that's what they're seeking you know, and, and, and it's deal making time in D.C. with all the infrastructure stuff and, and uh, so it, there's certainly a good opportunity to expect some of that uh, to get through.
0: This comes at a time when many in the biofuels industry are concerned that the Biden administration is going to grant uh, RFS relief to uh, the oil industry. What's the latest you're hearing on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I would expect them when they release the RVO, which is at least a year delayed, I I forget exactly the timeline, but it it is a delayed RVO, that there will be some haircut on the volumes um, and they will blame uh, the uh, the coronavirus economic impact on for that uh, for that haircut and I think that will take some of the air out of the uh, ring price market but I think they are just trying to do is maybe buy some time um, and maybe think that there's a broader solution here um, and I think the, the biofuel community seems to be engaged in maybe some you know what is you know broaden the RFS or some some alternatives to the RFS so I, I but I think you'll see is the White House is going to try to buy some time. They're going to do an RVO that's, you know, maybe the buyer for the community may not like, um, be a slight haircut, take some of the price out of the red market. And then maybe on the back end with some of this infrastructure stuff, see if there's a way to kind of make everybody whole. So I think that's right now. And as you know, Mike, these things can change. Um, but that's kind of how I view things at the moment.
0: We're talking with Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters. Jarrett, um, the biofuels industry uh, kind of feels at times like despite encouraging words from the administration and some of the things uh, that they've seen, uh, but then there seems to be such a push towards electric vehicles and uh, it seems like biofuels, they feel like this administration maybe is not fully behind them as as being a part of reaching climate goals. Uh, you're close to the Biden administration covering it. Uh, what is their stance what is their position when it comes to biofuels
2: well i i think the better way to understand is that there is no doubt that they are 100 percent behind electric vehicles i mean joe biden was driving an electric vehicle truck um uh, so you know their commitment to that is 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 is, is genuine and I, I think it's you know they're going to invest 177 billion and probably seek to in expanding an, an electric infrastructure, charging stations, a nationwide network. Um, so that is that is where they want to go. Um, you know, I, I do think they see advanced biofuels, and some of those are like, uh, particularly on the airline industry and, and stuff like that, I think they see that as an off-ramp for some of the biofuels, um, a place where they can still compete. Um, you know, they're not... They're not big fans of liquid fuels. I mean, they're just—they just, you know, they—they—they they, they have carbon reduction targets they want to hit. Liquid fuels doesn't get them there. I, I mean, I think, you know, in the short term, they're they they are obviously going to be tied to some of these policies. But more broadly, I mean, they see electric vehicles as the, the path forward. Now, you know, just on an, on for numerous different reasons.
0: So when we see things like um, this, these incentives that could be part of a package in the infrastructure to help biofuels that the Democrats are pushing. Does the administration then see that just as a way to kind of appease the biofuels industry for now, or uh, do they see biofuels as a way to maybe get them to some of these climate goals in the short term while, as you say, supporting electric vehicles and other things more for the long term? Hmm. Good question. I I don't don't know how the best way to answer that. I mean, I, I do think...
2: You know one thing to understand in these infrastructure negotiations is that Democratic majorities are so tiny in both the House and non existent really in the Senate, so individual lawmakers hold uh, a lot of power, and groups of lawmakers even hold more power so if the farm belt lawmakers come together and say you you need you know we need this or we're not supporting that," you know depending on their resolve, they'll get that, right? They'll get what they want, or at least some portions of what they want. So, I mean, I I think that's probably more at play than any specific policy goal. Um, I think there's a broader effort, you know, because if you're going to pass the infrastructure package, Mike, you're also going to pass the, you know, all that money for electric vehicles, right? So um, Mm -hmm. that goes along for the ride, too. So there's a lot of countervailing winds in in that. Um, So I, I think this is more just about getting the infrastructure bill passed, and there's going to be a lot of these kind of pet projects or regional demands imposed upon that bill. And I, I think the biofuel, you know, the, the Farm Belt lawmakers are going to be part of that you know, group who, who demand something for them out of it, um, or at least for their region. Does that make sense?
0: Very interesting. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and see what the Supreme Court ruling is going to be coming down soon on uh, how EPA handles the waivers to the RFS. That'll be a, kind of an interesting part of this as well. Jared, good to talk Move with down. you again, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Take care. All right, Mike. Thank you. Jared Renshaw with Reuters. He uh, for quite a while, covered biofuels. Now he's on the political beat and very uh, uh, closely involved with covering the uh, Biden administration. And as we said, politics and biofuels often intersect, and that's exactly what's happening now. Interesting his thoughts that, uh, as he said, there's no doubt that the Biden administration favors electric vehicles moving forward. So uh, we'll see how all this plays out and impacts the biofuels industry. Up next, we'll get into some of that and more with John Linder, president of the National Corn Growers Association, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, with us. All right, the Department of Agriculture is unveiling three proposed rules that they say will strengthen enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards Act. Any concerns about what you're seeing and hearing on this?
3: We do have some concerns, especially in regards to revisiting the old GIPSA rule. And all of your listeners who have had any sort of engagement with the cattle industry over the past decade will remember the big fight that that brought forward. And Just as a recap, the original Gypsum rule that was a result of the 2008 Farm Bill and ended up manifesting itself in the 2010 rule that uh, we then spent a lot of time and effort fighting basically would put USDA in the driver's seat in determining how producers can or cannot market
0: their cattle. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
4: For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN, on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts.
0: You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. So that was an interesting conversation we just had with Jarrett
0: Renshaw with Reuters. Um, Basically, you get the feeling, and I thought a key statement he made was that the Biden administration is not a fan of liquid fuels. Now, they may go along with some things in the short term, it sounds like, to maybe to get that could help the biofuels industry to get some things passed, like an infrastructure package. But as he said, their push is going to be their. Support is going to be for electric vehicles, and uh, this is going to be a challenge moving forward, I think, for the biofuels industry as we'll uh, see how this plays out, and we wait for the Supreme Court ruling. We'll talk about that and some other issues now with the president of the National Corn Growers Association, John Linder. John, good to talk with you again. Thanks for being with us.
5: Hey, thanks, Mike. Glad to be here with you.
0: How how do you feel about this? uh, how the Biden administration is dealing with the biofuels industry. Do you think they're fully supportive or just uh, kind of, you know, getting by for now, get granting some things or going along with some things, but with their bigger vision being towards electric vehicles? Uh, and again, the statement we just heard from uh, Jarrett Renshaw with Reuters that the Biden administration is not a fan of liquid fuels. How do you feel about that?
5: You know, I guess that perspective would uh have to say that perspective would disappoint me.
0: Um, is
5: is that accurate? I mean, you know, that's their opinion of what the Biden administration is saying. Uh we're having a little different conversation when we speak to the administration, when we speak to the EPA, there there is there's a voice there that they're listening to. I mean they they have the administration that they have to answer to. But they also are more engaged with us than any previous EPA under uh previous administration so I believe that they are listening to us and they want to find a path forward and you know ethanol corn ethanol checks so many boxes and so I I think it's a great story and I think the opportunity to recognize that it fully fits climate strategy today it fits today and it will only get better going forward and so that's our our effort of advocation for our corn farmers is so critical to the demand fees for corn right and the farmers really need us to provide that help provide that stability that certainty so the next generation has a has a place in agriculture as they desire but you know for us uh biofuels of all forms uh does have an audience within the administration. Obviously, I think they slant toward all met the biodiesel side of things, but I think the uh opportunity to ensure that corn ethanol fits into transportation fuel uh today and going forward it it is an opportunity yet, and I believe that uh we're engaged properly. Uh, is a left you bet and that's why we need our corn advocates with us our farmers
0: yeah and you know when you look at it it's kind of interesting Uh, the Biden administration doesn't seem to be uh, a supporter of uh, of the oil industry either although there are now these rumors out there that they're going to grant some RFS relief to the oil industry I mean uh, it's I mean it seems like every day there's kind of a, a, a mixed message on some of these things (laughs)
5: <laughs> well you know you said mike and and to me that was a little bit of a, an enlightenment that uh they feel like the the local fuels market has place uh for uh not only the near future but probably even longer term if they're concerned about refineries staying uh economically viable is that right the right approach uh we've We've advocated that that's not the right approach, and we'll continue to advocate that that's not the right approach. But is is that a peek behind the curtain that um, you know there is a little bit of uh, recognition that the liquid fuels market can actually serve the goals of this administration? I think it is a I think it is a clue. But boy, do we have to be diligent.
0: Yeah. I- there's a political component to this as well i mean there are farm state lawmakers that uh, the biden administration will need to uh, listen to as well on the democratic side and there there's certainly some support there for the biofuels industry by members of his party and as we're seeing and we talked about earlier in this program today that some of the uh, democratic lawmakers are pushing for some uh, incentives and credits for uh, the biofuels industry as part of the infrastructure package so uh, all this is going on here at the same time as they try to sort their way through it speaking of infrastructure what are you uh, seeing and hearing as far as what might get passed uh, and are you encouraged by what they're working on
5: you know, it is very encouraging. We've been advocating for
0: infrastructure uh, repair, rebuild, uh,
5: you know, new new projects for so many years. So, it's such a critical piece to our being effective as a world exporter. And uh, you know, we just can't afford to lose that that demand piece. And it it serves our country so well. It serves our our farmers well. But you know, it serves rural communities so well if we have great infrastructure and we can move products internationally as well as domestically, solidly. so that is a, a component that we've advocated for a long time. Actually, it had some great movement and, and some successes, so for the Biden administration to take this up uh, at a higher level, we're encouraged. Yeah, We can talk about tax structure too if you'd like.
0: I was going to say, are you concerned though about how they would pay for the infrastructure bill? wholeheartedly. You know,
5: I think one piece of advice, you know, I'm not a tax accountant. I'm not an attorney. So, but John Linder, obviously I'm president of the National Congress. I want our farmers to realize they need to talk to other friends that are in small business as well because some of the tax changes that are being thrown out there, uh, impact small family businesses and isn't that the roots of this country to be able to have a family business to have a small business and not have everything go corporate so some of these uh, suggested tax changes um, really don't play well in that in that regard and you know the chairman of the House Aid Committee uh, Chairman Scott agreed with us that this doesn't really uh, some of these tax efforts really don't go along with in are in, in keeping with the desire to keep the, the small businesses, the family farm whole, and allow the next generation to come in. So it's a big conversation, but, if, but the two things I'd love to see folks do is one, reach out to your tax accountant because these laws, these tax laws, and these provisions can change like a flip of a switch, uh, you know, on and off. But to actually put a tax plan in place that manages it well for your operation so things don't disappear uh, through tax uh, obligations that were unforeseen at the time, those those aren't light switches. Those are long-term. You've got to build an infrastructure to manage those before you never turn that light on. And the, the, the clock may be ticking. And it will take time because it will take people. It'll not only take your not only your accountant, your tax advisor. It'll take attorneys. It'll take uh, appraisers for the property. And when you talk about so many folks looking at it at once there may not be enough of those folks uh, to go around to actually get all your your needs uh, met by the time the light switch flips. So please, first piece of advice, get out and talk to your tax advisor. Don't take my word, take theirs, see how it impacts you. Secondly, be an advocate. You need to come along with us because we're working hard in your behalf, but you need to speak up. The Biden administration's uh, call out on some of these provisions, it'll only affect like 2% of of rural America. But the truth is, there are studies that say it could impact 94% of rural America. So who's the expert here?
0: I'm not. You should rely on your conversation with them. John Linder, president of the National Corn Growers Association. John, uh, we hear that uh, things are looking uh, crop-wise looking good in the eastern corn belt. How are things looking in your state of Ohio?
5: You know, you, typically I, I would do all the uh, corn side dressing. I get to
0: plant all the corn. This
5: is my 42nd crop this year. so pleased with the stands as they emerged. And then to get out there and side dress and see them really develop nicely and quickly and take advantage of the moisture that we've been getting that others have not. I feel a little guilty, but, uh, boy, am I glad because it's been a struggle the past few years for us in the in the weather department. So it's kind of nice to be off to a good start and, and hit the races but you know we uh been a little busy here with national corn i had the board uh together for the first time face to face last week so my brother did some of the side dressing when i met back up with him on friday he says wow do we have a stand Why wow, is it growing good uh really would love to see it finish we got a long time before we get there the beans look good too so we're pretty fortunate here I can tell you, some of my fellow board members, it's it's a struggle. They're not getting the rain, and they had to stand, but they need, they need water to get there. Uh, a lot of folks across the Midwest, such variability, we are blessed right here.
0: All right, John, it's good to talk with you and get caught up. Appreciate it. We'll see you again soon. Take care. Thank you, Mike. John Linder, president of the National Corn Growers Association. A look at the volatile markets next, and we'll talk about the CME Group launching a new futures contract in August tied to the value of nature-based carbon credits, including those generated from agriculture. We'll talk about it next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
4: Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Moth, as I interview some of agriculture's best thought leaders. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field
0: Join us every Tuesday for a Round the Table, brought to you by CHS, where we take a close look at the benefits of cooperative ownership. Every week, we'll host a new guest and discuss how you can get the most from working with your local cooperative. And we'll learn why farmers and ranchers just like you choose cooperatives to help them persevere and prosper. So be sure to tune in each Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more.
6: You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. After active trade on both sides, corn closed lower and beans closed higher yesterday. Even wheat contracts split with spring wheat higher and winter wheat lower. On crop progress, corn and soybean conditions continue to decline, but soybeans were a little bit better than trade expectations. The USDA pegged the U.S. corn good to excellent rating at 65 percent, trade expected 63 to 65 percent, but that is below last week's 68 percent and well below the five-year average of 71 percent today we are seeing mixed futures once again on the Board of Trade July corn trading a nickel higher at 664 and a half cent September down seven cents at 564 and a fraction for soybeans July up five and a fraction at 1420 and a fraction August up three cents at 1373 and a fraction For wheat Chicago wheat July down a half cent at 661 Kansas City wheat July up three and a half cent at 603 and a fraction Minneapolis spring wheat July up 24 at 780 Eight and a half a cent and september up 19 and a half a cent at 787 cattle futures closed monday with little fanfare as feeders were a bit higher and live cattle were a bit lower it was not the usual triple digit gains or losses that we have now become accustomed to there was little news for traders to go on for market direction leaving them a little cautious and taking positions the cash market was not tested with only some light trade in iowa but nothing to hang on to August live cattle, a dollar twenty-two higher at one twenty-two twenty-five. The October contract, a dollar two higher at one twenty-seven sixty-five. For feeders, August a dollar thirty-five higher at one fifty-six forty-five. September up a dollar twenty-seven at one fifty-eight sixty-five. In lean hogs, the July contract, a dollar sixty-seven higher at one oh eight seventy-two. August a dollar seven higher at one oh four seventy-five. In the outside markets, the Dow is down one hundred and ten points. The Nasdaq Composite up two. The S and P five hundred down three. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl.
7: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
0: Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
1: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk markets with
0: Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Rabo Agri Finance. So, Steve, with the weather concerns that are out there and questions in some parts of the of the country about how big a crop they'll have, in some cases, maybe even if they'll have any at all, um, and with the, still the tight stock situation, why would the markets go down as much or as often as they are these days?
3: Good morning, Mike. Great question, and we could probably spend three hours talking about that. It, I will, I'll admit, I'll admit to you, and I. This is the first time I remember where I see crop ratings. Sort of, you know, they're not tumbling, but they're they're not going upwards, and the market's following it downward. And it's it's a bit of a head scratcher as to why that's happening. And, and you and your question framed it very well. You have parts of the country, and particularly the western corn belt, and you know. Western Iowa, um, not to say it hasn't been dry in eastern Iowa, because it has been that they've had good rains lately. But Minnesota, the Dakotas uh, are still very, very dry. And in talking to farmers uh, across, actually, I got a pretty good, over the last couple of days, uh, talked to farmers and saw parts of the Corn Belt, it, it's a real mixed bag. And I, I'm a little, I'll be honest, I'm a little mystified as to why the trade is taking this price risk out right now particularly and i'm I'm focusing on corn, uh, but it certainly is applicable to beans as well uh, you know we still have very tight stocks uh, particularly with beans and and certainly corn and I think corn may be the surprise when we look at the grain stocks numbers here just you know in a week that you know we've been using a lot of corn and exports have certainly been strong that we could have a lot less corn and that could be a bit of a shocker to the marketplace. I, I think the market is is reading the headlines and seeing you know the weather. When we look at weather and see rain falling across the U.S. or parts of the Corn Belt and saying, "Oh, things are going to be okay," and and if you look at you know those you know 24-hour you know accumulations of rain, you see two or three inches and think, "Oh, that everything's really good," then we don't need to have the price risk. But if you dig a little deeper, and I think that's where the market is maybe failing itself right now, and you start to look at those. 30 60 day 90 day accumulations or percent of normal and you see a, a good portion of the of the US corn belt is 50 to 75% normal or precip. So that's where my concern is that we don't have normal precip. We're not even close in some cases and we came into the season very dry and things are you know I think that's a that's an issue. Now they're on they're being the optimist, which I understand that is that they had two things. One is we're seeing they're seeing rains, so they well, that's gonna be okay. So we're gonna keep getting timely rains. They're also looking at the wheat market and think about how the winter wheat market winter wheat crop went in last fall, it was dry, it was a dry winter, and, and you know, we were all sort of wringing our hands about that, and then they got timely rains this spring and everything turned out pretty decent, uh, surprisingly strong when we look at a production site. So I think they're looking at that. But we're coming into that time period now. July, August, where it is the hottest and driest time of the year, and we're going in at a situation where we did have rains, but we did not. We don't have a lot of we don't have a lot of reserve, so I'm I am still very concerned about production yet, and I think that the market may be coming. We may be coming to a point here. The fourth of July tends to be that where the market's going to have to reckon with what's actually going on, with where we are on prices.
0: So we obviously we don't know what the the production figure will be when it's all said and sure. done, but we we pretty well know that through the Dakotas and and parts of Iowa and Minnesota, some of those areas, they're just not going to have as big a crop as they would normally have. And so, right. if you take that out, even if other parts, and we just heard from the president of the National Corn Growers of uh, John Linder from Ohio says things look really good mm-hmm. there, uh, but can you yep. take out as big a section as we're talking about with pretty reduced production i mean can you make up for that in enough other places it seems to me there's no way we're looking at a record crop right so we're trying to decide how good a crop it's going to be
3: yeah i think that's exactly right we're we're going to decide how good crop is when you look at and i and I, i apologize to the southern minnesota folks here but you look at iowa illinois nebraska that is nearly fifty percent of corn production in the United States in those three states. And and that's historically been the case. If you wipe out any of that production and then that's that's a big deal because you it impacts prices, it impacts production, and we can't have, you know, problems in those states and expect that expect the markets, you know, expect prices to be lower or expect production to be good. I mean that's just that isn't gonna be the case. Um and When you look at the the problems, we have to go back just a year ago. Think about last year. We thought, well, everything looked good. You know, thought the crops were going to be good. Um, It was it was a good news story. And then we got to the end of the season, and of course, the Duraco came right through the center of the corn belt. Um, And then you then all of a sudden we woke up and thought, boy, it was really dry in western Iowa and parts of the Dakotas, and boy, the crop just wasn't there. And I think we're setting up for that very same thing now um, of what's of of less production than we're anticipating. And I think that's where the market is, is again, comes the July 4th weekend, which just tends to be a time when the market makes a, a shift or decides what's ahead of it. It's going to have to reckon with that. Um, and even, even though, I mean, the, and maybe the market, we're going to get a lot more acres planted than we thought, um, and I do think we'll see an increase in acres, but I wonder if it will meet the expectations of, of the trade it just won't be big enough and it could be one of those reports when you look at on the surface go we got more acres that's bearish but when you really start to dig through the numbers and go boy it's just not enough to make up what we need to see stocks go up in corn and soybeans and get a more comfortable level it just may not be enough and then you start to add in just a drought or dry conditions in the western corn belt that D just doesn't look as Plentiful or as adequate as the trade would like it to see, and then it's going to have to make a
0: decision. And so that makes that, that makes report. next week's re- yeah that makes next week's report even more interesting to see Absolutely. how much of an adjustment USDA is willing to make at this point.
3: Right, and USDA. I mean, I always look at that June 30th report as that's one of the big reports of this year. And this year, it's bigger. It's it's just it I couldn't believe that you know looking at where we've started this year with acres. And that number now becomes even, that report becomes even bigger because do we get the acres that USDA, we didn't see in March, even though we saw an increase. And that's a good example. There was a market that saw an increase. We saw an increase in acres of 6 million acres in the United States, and it still wasn't enough to satisfy the trade. And does that happen again here in June? Plus you get a stocks number on top of it that could show you that there's been extremely good usage of corn in, the second, in this third quarter, That could be very, could be a bullish surprise to the marketplace going forward. And that will, that will bring up all markets to go. Likewise.
0: It'll be interesting. Yeah. We're talking with Steve Nicholson yeah, with Bravo AgriFinance. Steve, what do you think of this uh, CME Group launching a new futures contract starting in August tied to the value of nature-based carbon credits, including those generated from agriculture? I mean, is this a sign of the times of where we're headed uh, with all the, you know, the, the carbon markets and carbon banking and things like that? I guess uh, we shouldn't be surprised at this. Uh, but what do you, how do you see this playing? Is there going to be a lot of interest in this?
3: I think there will be a
0: lot of interest, but I think that interest
3: might be short, it might be short lived. Um, Hmm. And you said, I mean, there's a lot of interest in carbon farming or how do we, how do we benefit from that, from, you know, from a production agriculture, how do we benefit from that? And this may be one of those tools that we can do that. Um, You know, companies, industries are going to be more, there's going to be more and more pressure on them to reduce carbon emissions or figure out how to do that. And if they can't figure out, what do they do to, to mitigate that or in a way, you know, like rents, you know, how do you mitigate that damage or what do you, you know, what kind of a fee do you pay to, to be in a better position? So I think there'll be a lot of interest. The challenge that has through all this, and I just was on a whole call about sustainability and carbon farming just before we came on the air. And the, the, the challenge is we know where we want to go, but we don't necessarily know how to measure it. Um, what is what is the data we need? How do we measure it? is this Is this a good result or is this a bad result? There's a lot of work that need, in my view, there's a lot of work that needs to be done between here's 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 the aspiration where we want to be. Here's where we are, and there's a lot of work in between that has to be done. So I'm really interested to watch the CMEs contract. how does you know how does it get function? I think the other question will be, you know, like with all new contracts, can you attract enough volume? Mm-hmm. Can you attract enough? Therefore, have liquidity and enough players that will want to invest in that at this point. And that's always a challenge with a new contract. And and I know the CME knows that they don't. they don't need me to tell them that. But will we see enough people dive in? And I think you know farmers have been a little reluctant to sign up for carbon contracts because they feel like it's not. It's it's not enough money for what they're being asked or what they're being asked to sign up for and so I think it will be very interesting to watch it and see where it goes
0: we will watch that closely as we will that uh, big report coming out next week Steve thanks a lot we'll talk to you again soon
3: thank you Mike good as always to talk to you
0: Take care, Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Agri AgriFinance. Well, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has announced 55.2 million dollars in competitive grant funding available through the new Meat and Poultry Inspection Readiness Grant Program. Long title, uh, but um, this is what we heard from Secretary Vilsack that USDA is going to push to increase uh, capacity and uh, expand access in uh, meat and poultry inspection operations across the country. We're going to get some reaction to this from Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. That's coming up next right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
8: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Starr Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death.
5: Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute.
9: Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance care for your own physical and mental well-being and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one because the better care you take of yourself the better care you can provide for your loved one thanks dad thank you you're there for them we're here for you find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving that's aarp.org caregiving a public service announcement brought
0: to you by aarp and the ed council Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Waters of the US back in the news. Let's talk it over with Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Took four years to get that controversial twenty fifteen Obama rule changed. Now this administration proposing to change it again. What are your thoughts?
5: We just can't believe after arduous four year effort to fix this controversial rule, thought we were done with it and now we learn we're not. It looks like the Biden administration is wanting to go back to something in the 2015 uh, rule range. And when I traveled the countryside during that period, there was nothing more opposed by farmers and landowners out there than that original 2015 rule. Unfortunately, it
2: looks like there is an effort to go back and use that as a basis again. And I think agriculture
5: will rise up once again in strong opposition to this.
0: For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Our guest this week is Steve Carlson, Crop Enhancement Manager with CHS Agronomy, talking about how farmers can get the most from their agronomic input dollars. Steve, obviously fertilizer is a major input cost for growers. Give us a few key steps they can take to improve the return on their fertilizer investments.
10: When we look at that fertilizer investment, it's a big part of every farming operation and it's really the, the building block of the season, right? It's going to help us grow that crop and then produce what we need to. Uh, when I look at you know, holistically, a couple of ways that's really important is making sure we know what we need, doing soil testing and measuring to say, hey, for our yield goals and what we're targeting, do we have enough nutrition out there? The other part that I really look at is making sure that we get it out there at the right time where that, that crop can really access it and benefit from it, and then avoid some losses too. The other thing I really think is the third and final piece is just efficiency. How can we protect? How can we stabilize? How can we maximize that investment?
0: What should farmers do now to help make good decisions for future growing seasons?
10: Planning really really pays, I think. Uh, again, when I look at this, I think it's managing up to your, your in-season needs of, hey, what the crop looks like today, uh, where we want to take it to, and then kind of hedging our bets. I think it's working with your local uh, CN dealer and really discussing that strategy. What are your goals and aspirations and what is it going to take nutritionally to get there? And then leveraging that. Uh, markets move and fluctuate. And uh, we want to definitely plan for it, given the challenges of, of the last 18 months, I'll call it, due to a number of different reasons. Uh, I think planning and, and being ahead of that market and saying, hey, where do I want to buy? When do I want to buy? And, and taking advantage of maybe some of those earlier offers, I think are very prudent and really helpful long term.
0: All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for joining us around the table to hear more from Steve and other CHS experts. Be sure to join around the table live, getting the most from your agronomic input dollar on June 24th at noon central time. Learn more and register at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and
1: ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams.
0: Secretary Vilsack has made it very clear that he's making it a priority to uh, address some issues in the livestock area and the marketing area. During a Senate hearing, he said his department is working on creative ideas to facilitate a meaningful expansion of U.S. meat processing capacity and usda has announced 55.2 million dollars in competitive grant funding available through what's called the new meat and poultry inspection readiness grant program this is funded by the consolidated appropriations act of 2021 here to talk about it is ethan lane vice president government affairs for the national cattlemen's beef association ethan thanks for joining us what do you think about this uh, this grant program well,
9: this is great news. You know, this is, it's always cool to see something that we've engaged on here in Washington and worked on, uh, come to fruition and, and, and start to bear fruit for our producers around the country. You know, at the height of COVID last year, uh, there was a lot of conversation about processing capacity and how we could empower some of these smaller plants around the country, uh, to, to grow and, and to, to pick up, uh, more of the capacity load and, and offer more options for producers. One of the bills that we worked to introduce in that time was called the Ramp Up Act which uh, created some, some grant money uh, to allow plants that were currently state-inspected to get up uh, to federal standard to ship across state lines and, and be able to expand those opportunities. That funding was included, uh, $60 million of it, in the consolidated appropriations bill back in December. That was something we were pleased to be able to work to get included in that year-end spending bill. So to, to see it now uh, uh, taking shape at USDA, to see the, the new team at USDA taking advantage of that uh, is, is great news it's a great step in the right direction to solve one of the pieces of this processing capacity challenge
0: yeah one of the pieces i mean this isn't a cure-all right it can help but what else is needed
9: well, here's the challenge we've, we've had is, you know, we have this cooperative interstate shipment program, CIS program, that FSIS created some years ago, and we worked on that as well. And the idea was to allow these state meat inspection programs, which do a great job of, of, of producing and, and overseeing safe product around the country. There's 28 states that have them, but only eight are participating in CIS, which allows them to engage in that system and ship that state inspected product across state lines. That tells us there's something wrong. with CIS Uh, we just saw South Dakota come on board here a few weeks ago so they're picking up a few states but more help is needed to allow flexibility for plants in states that don't have that CIS uh, infrastructure in place to, to make similar moves. And this is going to create some additional resources to do just that. But we still need new hook space, too, because a lot of these smaller plants tell us, you know, gosh, I like my business model. I'm diversified. I do other things. I don't want to be a pure, you know, beef processing plant. Um, and, you know, we're seeing some plants that are talking about coming online. We're seeing 500 head at the Beef plant up in Idaho and obviously North Platte in Nebraska. A 1,500 head plant uh, is working through their paces as well but you know we have a few other bills that we've been working on we're hoping to see reintroduction of one of those here in the next week or so to to add some additional resources for new hook space because you remember it's about a hundred thousand dollars a hook right now in daily capacity to to build new plant space so I uh, you know if we're going to create opportunity for smaller market participants and not just drive you know this business to the big four and truly diversify our packing capacity we, we need to create opportunities for for folks to do that we need to create low interest loans and access to capital so that that can become a reality where it pencils around the country
0: yeah I think that's the key thing here the key takeaway and as you have you have said that this grant money will help ensure that we're not just making big plants bigger, but expanding capacity in those smaller independent facilities.
9: That's the, that's the name of the game. Everything we're working on back here right now is focused on delivering those resources to the ground. I, you know, at, the, at the margins that we're all familiar with with the big four, if they want to add more capacity, they've got the checkbook to do it. We want to empower other market participants, and, and we think that's where the federal government can help through some of these programs, and that's where we're putting our focus.
0: As you said, we're starting to see a little bit of this uh, taking place with some of these plants that are coming on or expanding. So we're seeing it, but it, it takes time, doesn't it? Well, it does. You know, if you look
9: at the timeline for some reason, I think the AgriBeef plant just just said earlier this week uh, that they hope to be online by the end of 2022. So there's that 18 month cycle. You know that we kind of hear about. They're pouring concrete now. Walls will go up after that. It's not an easy process, um, and and you know it's because of that. It's not a quick fix, and we have to be looking at other pieces of this equation. The labor the labor piece continues to be the dominant issue in, in that piece of the supply chain. You know, depending on who you talk to, we could be losing as many as 5,000 head a day of capacity throughout the system just due to a, a lack of, of labor in the plants that, that already exist. Um, and, and so, you know, working on getting some of those folks back to work. I know um, some of the bigger packers have really increased their average daily uh, wage in those plants, you know, 5 6 $7 an hour more to try to entice some of those folks that are maybe receiving federal benefits now and staying home. Um, to come back to work, um, to get other folks interested in, in, in coming on the line and, and, and taking on some of those jobs. Um, but that, that continues to be the biggest challenge and the biggest thing we hear about it is a hurdle at every, at every size uh, within the, the, the packing segment. I was in Illinois last week talking to some, um, some folks with a smaller processing facility, and they said, look, it doesn't matter how big or small you are, getting folks to, to show up to work is, is one of the biggest challenges they face
0: right now. Yeah, we're seeing all kinds of bottlenecks in a lot of areas all across the country, and a lot of it comes right back to labor.
9: That, that's exactly right. This is, not a, this is not a problem that's exclusive to our industry. Uh, it's, it's restaurants, it's retail outlets, uh, it's hotels. It's, it's, it's everywhere you look in the economy right now. Um, but, but, you know, we're, we're, we're certainly not immune from it either, and it's, it's, it's something that we're feeling very acutely in our supply chain at the moment.
0: All right. So uh, hopefully these grants will help uh, alleviate this uh, this uh, bottleneck that is going on right now, and uh, and really help expand and and uh, even diversify, if you will, the uh, the meatpacking industry across this country, and getting more of these uh, smaller independent companies going and and plants going across the country. Ethan, thanks a lot. Appreciate the update. Thanks, Mike. Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Lots going on. We're keeping an eye on uh, legislation being worked on in Washington, D.C., what's going to happen with the infrastructure bill and some others. So a lot going on. And, of course, lots happening with the markets as well. Stay with us right here on AOA. We'll keep you up to date. Thanks for joining us. Have a great and safe day, everyone.